This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. The first time the U.S. government noticed that uh, charged particles were being used against diplomats occurred when we first detected it in 1963 at the American Embassy in Moscow. That's Robert Booth, former deputy director of the State Department's Office of Counterintelligence. No doubt you've heard in the last few years that U.S. diplomats abroad have been sickened by some kind of microwave or directed energy weapon. So what about what's happening now to U.S. officials in Washington? It's my belief that the primary culprit would be Moscow, the SVR. There's no question in my mind. After a bit of history, we take a peek at what Russia's capable of in the U.S. The the GRU and the SVR, which is Russia's Civilian Foreign Intelligence Service, both have residenturas Mm -hmm. in um, every country that they have an embassy in. Michael Weiss, an excellent national security journalist, and he's director of special investigations at the Free Russia Foundation. So there are GRU officers working under diplomatic cover in Washington, D.C. There are GRU officers working under diplomatic cover here in New York, where I live. People ask sometimes why we focus so much on Russia on this podcast. These interviews on this program will explain exactly to you why we focus so much on Russia. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Since 2016, we've been following something called Havana Syndrome. It's U.S. government personnel that have been sickened in Havana, Cuba, in China, and in Russia as well. And they were sickened by what authorities are calling a directed energy weapon. At least that's the prevailing wisdom, that that's what was used to sicken them. And they experienced some very intense symptoms. Mark Polymeropoulos was in Russia 2017, and he told us in August of 2020 about his experience. It was the uh, you know late late evening, actually early early in the morning, probably one two o'clock in the morning, um, in early December of uh, 2017. I awoke kind of to a start. I had incredible vertigo, a vertigo, nausea. I couldn't even stand up. Um, you know, almost fell down on the floor, and uh, it was pretty scary. You know, I had uh, I'd spent many years in, in war zones such as Iraq and Afghanistan, but this was probably the most scared I'd ever been because I really didn't know what was happening to me. Later, um, at a dinner something similar happened. Would you explain that too? Right. Several nights later, um, I, I recovered a bit over several days. Several nights later, just as I sat down for dinner at a, at a, at a you know, fancy uh, restaurant in Moscow, um, I started experiencing the same kind of dizziness and, uh, and nausea. 
uh, and it kind of knocked me out for another 24 hours. And then I kind of barely kind of crawled on the airplane and, uh, and made it home. Um, but it was, uh, it was, uh, it was certainly a repeat of, uh, of what happened, uh, in the previous week. And then later at home in the United States, again, something similar, right? So when I returned home, uh, in the, you know, in the, in the late December and then January timeframe, I, I wasn't feeling great, but the symptoms really, um, came on once again, a little bit different kind of splitting migraines. Um, uh, which, uh, which to this day, you know, three years later have not gone away 24 seven migraine, but around the March timeframe was the worst. I, uh, I had, uh, I had terrible migraines. I had lost my long distance vision at tinnitus, which is kind of ringing in the ears. Um, and it was clear that something, something, you know, was seriously wrong, uh, with me, uh, with me health wise, I ended up missing almost uh, four months of work, uh, kind of cumulatively, uh, over, uh, uh, uh you know, over that, over 2018. Who do you think did this? Well, I think, you know, at first, you know, you, you're, you're always kind of questioning uh, what happened, whether it was food poisoning or not. But then ultimately, you know, I go back, you know, obviously I was you know, not a friend of the Russians. And, uh, and I think based on some some uh, later investigative work by uh, by my colleagues at, at, uh, at the CIA after I had retired, um, you know, I think there's a there's a it looks like there's a pretty strong circumstantial uh, case that the Russians were, uh, were behind us. Um, what we believe is a, is a microwave weapon attack. You can hear more of that interview on episode 237 of Target USA. Mark Polymeropoulos is a retired CIA officer, as you probably have surmised by listening to that, who experienced some very, very painful and continues to this day experience some very uh, intense, painful uh, symptoms because of what was most likely a microwave weapon attack. So in doing some research on this, we wanted to figure out when this all started and who most likely might be behind it, because there have been a couple of new cases that have popped up in the last couple of weeks. At least we're hearing about them in the last couple of weeks here in Washington, including a National Security Council uh, staffer who uh, may have been targeted just outside the White House. And of course, as we reported in our piece with Mark last year, there was a person who uh, was uh, working for the U.S. government. Uh, that was sickened in Alexandria, a suburb of Virginia, last year. So we wanted to find out some more about this. So we turned to an individual that I've known for a while. And in fact, we've talked about this before with him. His name is Robert Booth. He's the former deputy director of the State Department's counterintelligence office. Robert, we've talked before about microwave or directed energy attacks uh, involving the U.S., U.S. officials, diplomats, U.S. properties overseas, and Russia. It looks as though, based on some recent um, developments, and certainly some sources that I've spoken to, and some other material that I've read, uh, and some actual victims that I've interviewed this may be happening again. We're not sure who's doing what, but I'll just uh, preface this whole thing for you this way. There are several reports that are emerging now that U.S. officials here in the inside the U.S. have suffered what they believe are similar to the Havana syndrome attacks where people suffered vertigo, nausea, um, migraine symptoms, um, debilitating headaches, traumatic brain injuries. Two occasions, one in Arlington and another one just outside the south portal of the White House. I wanted to get your opinion and thoughts specifically on what may be happening based on the fact that you were deployed 
when some of this early activity was happening. So if you could just give us a, a look back briefly at what your understanding of is when when this happened, when this began, when we first started as a nation to notice this. Well, the first time the U.S. government noticed that uh, charged particles were being used against diplomats occurred when we first detected it in 1963 at the American embassy in Moscow, when counter technical teams uh, determined that uh, microwaves between the 2.5 and 4.0 gigahertz were being directed specifically against the Chancery building, the embassy Moscow. And even then it was not determined for a long period of time what it was meant to be. However, the medical staff at the State Department was notified studies were done to determine whether or not these microwaves represented a health risk to the embassy employees. It appeared it did not. There were follow-ups of embassy employees and their um, family members for years afterwards. And it did not appear that the 1963 to 1975 microwave attacks against the diplomatic building in Moscow was directed against employees to hurt them. It was specifically done in an attempt to intercept communications and conversations. I'm assuming you've heard some of the details about some of the things I've mentioned to you that have been happening recently, or you've perhaps read about it uh, in some of the publications. I know you're a voracious reader of national security material and keeping up with these things. Do you see any similarities uh, in some of these activities that have been reported on? In the more recent, uh, what we would call attacks against our diplomats in Havana in China, it seems as though these new charged particle emissions are being used not to intercept conversations, but to harm and damage U.S. personnel. Wow. Now, based on the limited knowledge that we have about what's been going on here in Washington, um, similarities there, uh, connections there, uh, thoughts there about that. If it's if these two individuals suffered, it would simply mean that this device, if, if that's what it is, has been miniaturized down to the point where it is directed against them, probably by something carried in a car, a van or a briefcase. And that is very frightening. That's really interesting you mentioned that because uh, I had a conversation with a source who mentioned that this kind of technology is out there, um, but it's very big and very bulky. It's been out there for a long time, and it's actually used by law enforcement organizations in this country and certainly in Europe and other places legally, um, not in the same, um, shall we say, not to the same, not in the same way that it's being used now to harm people. But what I'm saying is the technology, the directed energy technology as a, some type of tool uh, has existed for a while, but you hit the nail seemingly on the head saying somebody's figured out how to miniaturize this. Uh, am I right in your thinking? Uh, does, is that, uh, was there some connection in the miniaturization when you made that comment uh, 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 that relates to where this all came from, where the, the technology started? Only in that these people suggested that they were hit while they were moving, which means that the device has to be portable because they had to be followed. They didn't, I don't know 
if they felt they took the same route every day. So they, a big truck was parked there for that one minute when they walked in front of it as they normally walk. Uh, but otherwise, then that would mean that these devices have been miniaturized. So talk to me a little bit more about what um, you learned um, during your days um, at the State Department in the aftermath. Can you mention this stuff started, the, the, the U.S. first noticed it in the 60s, but there were other episodes later, much later, much later than, than, than in the 60s, correct? There are. And initially, it was always suspected that these charged particle devices were an attempt, like I said, to technically compromise our typewriters, our, our, our fax machines. It was everything being used to intercept electronic conversations or actual uh, human conversations. It was never, ever suspected or determined that these microwave or charged particle devices were meant to harm people. It just, that came later. There is no evidence that I'm aware of up until the last five years that charged particle devices were being used against embassies because these charged particle devices, have, they can't penetrate the brick or the stone of the building. They have to go through the windows normally. And what we found is that by putting chicken wire and small wire in front of the windows, we pretty much defeated the microwave attacks. These new ones seem to be aimed at our personnel, not when they're inside the embassy, but we're inside private homes or walking in the street. So that is very suggestive to me that that's being used for a harmful purpose, not for an interception. Yeah, stealing our information is harmful to our national security. But here I mean harmful in the sense of your physical well-being. That is an attack. That's terrorism. Yes. That's, that's, a, that's a gigantic problem that's much, much worse than stealing uh, information. Um, it's almost unheard of, JJ, because in the past, it was always understood that a U.S. diplomat working overseas who might be involved in clandestine collection activities, the worst you ever did to him is you finally arrest him. And you maybe you might have harassed them. You might have, I mean, what the Cubans used to do, they would actually feed your dog poisoned food while you were gone. They might pull the plug on your refrigerator when you go to work in the morning. Um, that kind of harassment we always accepted, but you never harmed someone physically and certainly not the spouse or the children. Robert, I got to ask you this question and I can almost uh, hear your response before you say it, um, but uh, I'm not going to pretend to know you that well. Um, being a very smart and uh, very astute um, uh, security mind and uh, just a, a, a person in general, You've been looking at this uh, situation and you've been hearing and observing what's been going on between the U.S. and Russia for the last few years. And it's gotten worse and worse as, as time has passed. And when you start looking at the cyber attacks, when you start looking at the poisonings of people overseas, when you also start taking a look at the interference in the elections here, they've become much more bold. Do you think there is a chance this is linked back again to Russia. Are there others that have this kind of capability to do things like this? It's my belief that the primary culprit would be Moscow, the SVR. There's no question in my mind. The, the, the several attacks that occurred in China 
Um, I don't have as much information as I would like, but the organization that has traditionally gone after America and our intelligence capability in a bold, strong, and aggressive way has always been the KGB and the SVR. And given what they started in 1963 and how they have treated our diplomats in a way we would never treat their diplomats here in Washington, D.C. or San Francisco, I can only believe that the SVR has gotten the green light to be as aggressive as they possibly can with almost no constraint. It's always been the rule. Uh, the physical well-being of a diplomat is inviolate. And now that has changed. And there are other governments as well that might be adversarial to the U.S., but um, you don't believe that they would go as far as these attacks have gone. Is that right? Is that right what I'm hearing? Yes. And in the case of Cuba, they are a surrogate. And I simply believe that the Cuban intelligence services act on behest of the, the SVR. And that is why the SVR may have wanted a field test. Uh, this item in an, in an area where they could say, well, it's not us. And the Cubans would then say, well, it's not us either. So that's my firm belief. What do you think is the next logical step for the U.S. then if the theory that you're floating, which I think is spot on, just, you know, based on some of the other things that I've heard from other folks and other sources um, that this is happening and Moscow may be responsible for this. What is the, the next obvious logical step to stop it? To me, it would have to be a very senior administrative official would have to approach and confront his or her counterpart in Moscow saying, this is the proof that we have and it's got to stop. And if it doesn't stop, there are going to be specific repercussions whether it's literally shutting down half the Russian embassy here, limiting their ability to work here. But um, it's going to take that level of conversation. Again, remember, the medical community is, is somewhat still divided on exactly the about the symptoms and what may have caused the symptoms. But if the U.S. intelligence community is convinced, and it's clear that only U.S. diplomats seem to be targeted, except the poor Canadians and in, in, in Cuba, who might have actually been sharing dinners with our, our diplomats. It's just, it, it's clear that American diplomats and American intelligence officers are being targeted. And the government, certainly the new administration, I think is in a strong position to approach their counterparts and say, if this continues, there are going to be some repercussions. Anything I haven't asked you about that you think is important as we consider this, the story, which, you know, people are calling it a mystery. People are, are saying that it, this this is unheard of. It's unusual. It's 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 nothing that people have any any understanding of. But you've taken the mystery out of this. You have talked about the history of this. You have talked about your suspicions about where it might be coming from. So what haven't I asked you about as we discuss this um, that should be discussed? The only thing I can and say is I some not too far in the distance. I actually talked with a, a fairly senior member of state. And um, she said that, you know, we still don't have the, the, the 100 percent answer we need to be positive about going forward. We just don't know what it is. 
And, you know, the FBI team was allowed to go down to Havana and do the search. But of course, that device was long gone. So um, I don't know more what I can add. I mean, I talked to one or two of my colleagues remaining in his service and we're all we just don't have the, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. And in this, we, we, yes, we in the intelligence community or those who are retired have strong held beliefs about what this thing now is and who is responsible for it. But if we're going to take action, we need to have the kind of proof that will be conclusive to the other side when we show it to them. This is it. We know it's you. It's the same thing as, as um, solar wind. I mean, the head of the SVR was interviewed on BBC, I think, five days ago, where he denied the SVR was behind the solar wind attack. So, and, you know, they still deny they're involved in uh, the, our, our last two elections. So despite the evidence, despite the Nalvani, you know, poison attack on the plane, they deny all responsibility. So it's hard to get those individuals to own up to their what they have done. It's very interesting you mentioned the 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 difficulty in uh, assigning attribution. Um, and then there was the interview on the BBC with the the Russian intelligence official who said he was flattered <laughs> that uh, the US you know said or thought, or there are people in the U.S. that thought that Russia was behind this. But, you know, to be clear about this, um, that's not worth a hill of beans in the minds of people who are rational, because the Russian government and Russian intelligence have done very heinous things that they know they did, we know they did it, and the victims know they did it, and they denied it all the same. Uh, and so I, I just kind of wonder um, how far they're willing to go. And based on your experience, what's the answer to that question? Uh, they will go as far as they believe they need to. They will continue to deny what they want. The the poor Nalvani uh, poison attack against him just shows how far they'll go. And despite the evidence from three independent chemo um, hospitals and whatever saying he was the victim of a poison attack, yeah. the Russian government says, not us. Nothing in England. We didn't poison those people in England either. They're just and, the, you know, the, the, the tapes of those two guys who arrived on the plane to the attack and left. There they are. We have their passports, the sequential passport numbers. The British government has films of them. The Russian government says, not us. I mean, how do you deal with that? Yeah, well, you're right. That is a very interesting question. And my thought, based on some other folks that are pretty smart like you uh, that I've spoken to, have said you don't deal with it. You stop playing the game with them and you start punching them in the nose. Um, because I think that this administration uh, is prepared to do that. I think we've had four years of being in the wilderness uh, of the intelligence community uh, being on the second or third team, so that um, when you look at who the current president has surrounding him, I think we should all take a lot of comfort in that when the time comes, we are not going to sit back and we will punch in the nose. And I think when you listen to President Biden talk about the, the threat to the United States, he names those countries, he names those individuals, and he names what they're doing. So uh, this is a good start, the last four months, as far as I'm concerned. All right. 
Robert Booth, thank you very much. Um, you certainly know how to wake us up uh, at two twenty <laughs> in the afternoon. No need for coffee this afternoon. Thank you. You're very kind, JJ, and best to you. Now to turn to today, we go to Michael Weiss. He's senior editor at New Line Magazine and editor at large at the Daily Beast. And as you know, we don't spend time interviewing journalists on this program unless they have something significant to bring to the program. And a part of what Weiss brings to the show is that he's the director of special investigations at the Free Russia Foundation, which um, was talking recently uh, about these attacks uh, and who they think might be behind it was one of the questions that came up during the conversation about Russian intelligence operations in the U.S. Michael Weiss was on that call, and we uh, spoke to him afterwards about his thoughts regarding these directed energy attacks around the world and here in this country. Michael, one of the things that's come up in the last few weeks is that there are people here in Washington that seem to suspect Russian intelligence may be using these kinds of weapons here in the U.S. Can you first tell us what you know about these directed energy weapons? I mean, I only know what's been reported about them. But um, look, uh, Mark was working as a CIA officer in Moscow, where I believe he first was affected by these weapon systems. So now that that invites one of two possibilities. Either it was a foreign intelligence service uh, working out of an embassy in Moscow, or it was members of the Russian services that were responsible for it, right? Um, There have been reports of these directed energy weapon systems being used in Cuba. I've seen reports of them being used in Syria, where, of course, Russia's had a military presence on the ground uh, since 2015. Um, if, If there is truth to this, and if this is an actual technological device that has been invented for the purposes of causing, I guess, cerebral harm to Americans and, well, any target, really. It would stand to reason that it would be wielded by GRU operators. Um, The GRU is Russia's military intelligence service. uh, and, And we have, I mean, a preponderance of evidence really in the last month, less than a month, suggesting that it's certainly within their capability and their willingness to conduct these sorts of brazen attacks against the West. I mean, look at the disclosures out of the Czech Republic and Bulgaria, where GRU officers from a bespoke unit known as 29155, it's an assassination and sabotage unit, have been accused by those governments of having blown up an ammunition depot in eastern Czech in the Eastern Czech Republic in 2014, uh, also having uh, blown up uh, weapons or munitions depot in Bulgaria, and then uh, also set fire to the forensics lab that that had compiled the evidence, trying to assess what had happened to that uh, and uh, weapons depot. So, you know, what we're talking about are acts of state terrorism. I mean, there really is no other euphemism for this. Uh, conducted by Russian military intelligence operatives. Um, now, you know, y- you will no doubt have heard and, and followed the controversy or debate about whether or not the GRU has suborned members of the Taliban and other Islamist insurgency groups in Afghanistan to murder 
American and British and native soldiers. This is a, you know, kind of a hot button issue in Washington. The CIA believes there's medium or moderate confidence that this is true based on its sourcing. NSA is, has, has lesser confidence in the assessment. But if, if let us, let's just say for the sake of argument that, that that story is true and the intelligence is accurate, um, then we, we will know uh, that it will become established fact that the GRU has been given license to directly go after Americans, okay, uh, and in this case, to 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 kill them by proxy, okay. But you know, in, with respect to what we're talking about here, I mean, directed energy weapons are designed to harass and, uh, I, I suppose, wound, or at least certainly deliver um, okay. some kind of cerebral harm. Yeah. Let me throw a question in here in the middle of this. Sure. Um, there have been a number of reports, and I've confirmed from a source familiar with what's happening at CIA that mm -hmm. the director is getting briefed every day on this. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence has said um, they're concerned about this kind of thing, but they have no evidence of it. Now, have you seen or heard or spoken to anyone about anything that, that suggests that this is more than just a remote possibility to be taking place in the U.S.? Uh, like I said, I mean, I haven't followed the directed energy uh, weapon story very closely. I've paid much more attention to things that have been directly attributed to the GRU in the last several years, simply for selfish reasons. I'm, I'm writing a book on the GRU. Um, but look, I will say one of the issues that I, I am aware of within the CIA is those who have been affected or alleged, allegedly affected by these systems um, were seeking uh, medical care. And I'm not I couldn't give you the details of the kind of internal bureaucracy that apply at the agency. But, you know, one of the things that uh, Bill Burns has vowed to do, he's the current director of the CIA, is to get to the bottom of this so that uh, veterans of the service are given the full slate of treatment that, that they require. I mean, Mark Polymeropoulos in particular has been agitating for this for quite a while. So there is also a consideration here beyond does this thing actually exist? Um, what do we do about those who are coming in with, you know, serious complaints that they that they say began when they were agents or sorry, officers in the field? Back to what you were talking to the other things that the GRU may be involved in. Do you believe it's within their capacity to have some kinds of some kind of operational command post here in the U.S., in Washington, per se. I, I understand the FSB may have some kind of operational, and usually it's well, the embassy. Well, I mean, I mean there's, not, there's not a debate about it. You know, the, the GRU and the SVR, which is Russia's Civilian Foreign Intelligence Service, both have residenturas mm -hmm. in um, every country that they have an embassy in. Okay. So there are GRU officers working under diplomatic cover in Washington, D.C., there are GRU officers working under diplomatic cover here in New York, where I live, simply because Russia has a very sizable mission to the United Nations. Um, a lot of these guys in New York live in a complex in Riverdale in the Bronx, yeah. known as Riverdale, yeah. uh, which is a sort of storied building. You can read about it in any Cold War history of... Yeah, I've actually spoken to Sergei Trechikov about it before he died. There so There you go. Yeah. And uh, so absolutely... I mean, there are Russian spies from certainly the two services that are designed to do overseas operations, whether they're FSB, there no doubt probably are, um, although the FSB is not known to have its own 
residenturas within embassies, but no doubt there are uh, officers stationed in these um, missions. There are probably also illegals. Um, I mean, you know, just because we rounded up 11 of them in Operation Ghost Stories, you know, that that now famous FBI. Um, uh, yeah, more than 10 years ago. <laughs> more than 10 years ago. Anna Chapman, of course, the kind of poster girl of, of Russian spies and the, the, the actual incident that gave rise to the television series, The Americans. Just right. because we got those guys doesn't mean that there aren't others who yeah. have been here for ages. Um, I would think less of the Russian services if they hadn't deployed more than just 10 or 11 uh, illegals. So, I mean, look, it, this all sounds very, it, it's a bit, it's a bit of James Bond, isn't it? Um, and, and usually espionage intelligence matters are very prosaic uh, and unsexy and romantic, but the idea of some secret microwave weapon that can scramble your gray matter at a distance. I mean, it, it sounds very far-fetched. However, um, you know, up until recently, it was widely thought that Russia had disbanded its nerve agent program. And we know thanks to the work done by Bellingcat uh, and other reporting that has come out that that simply is not the case. Uh, they have a very active program and there's, there's not just one um, variety of Novichok you know, the, the weapon, the poison that was used against Sergei Skripal, his daughter, Yulia, Ilyan Gebrev, a Bulgarian arms dealer, uh, and Alexei Navalny, the head of the Russian opposition. They have different variations on, on the synthetic substance. So they're, they're actively working on, you know, chemical weapons, nerve agents as, as a matter of course for their kind of intelligence and, and military uh, capability. Why wouldn't they, if they had the technology, try and figure out a way to, you know, kind of weaponize these sort of invisible kind of energy systems? Sure. Uh, and, and as I say, if, if there's going to be a service that's responsible for it, whether it's pulling the trigger, as it were, on, on these devices, it would more likely be GRU mm -hmm. uh, than SVR. Um, the FSB, of course, has been identified as the culprit in the Navalny poisoning, which was interesting because they use Novichuk, right? Um, but that was because Navalny is a domestic matter. He's a, a Russian citizen who is campaigning throughout Russian Federation territory. Uh, had, it, had he been abroad, um, it may have been different. It might have been GRU. It might have been FSB. Um, so, but, you know, the, FS, the GRU exists really for one reason as a Western intelligence officer put it to me several years ago when I first started researching my book to prepare for war with the West. So their targets are typically Western targets. Mm -hmm. um, and so a CIA officer working under diplomatic cover in Moscow, that would be absolutely a Western target. Although in the, in the old days, in the Cold War, that would have been a KGB matter. Um, they had a whole department on uh, for counterintelligence and even trying to um, recruit what they called, you know, um, to do intelligence from the territory. In other words, this was on sovereign Soviet soil, so it was their kind of home turf. But yeah. anything that's 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 happening outside of Russian Federation territory, uh, again, if it has any kind of military aspect to it, um, if I'm if I'm at the you know the the uh, roulette table, I'm going to put money on GRU above all the other services. All right. So um, knowing what we know. Um, do you think, do you know if the U.S. has a way to, uh, 
counteract this kind of activity? I mean, I know that some people were thrown out of the country recently because of sanctions, but uh, can they counteract this kind of malign activity in our inside this inside the country? Well, one thing you do is is you recruit agents and assets within the services to get a, as as detailed a picture as possible. Um, so, you know, first determine whether or not this is true. Uh, and the way to do that is through a combination of signals and human intelligence, right? In terms of counteracting it, there are ways you can telegraph to the opposition, we know what you're up to, and if you don't stop, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. The difficulty there, of course, is by doing that, you disclose your that you know, per, perhaps not the, the particular sources that you have, but that you have sources, right? That you have pieced together um, this intelligence using, no doubt, um, spies on, or moles in, inside their own government. Okay. Um, but look, you know, sanctions is is become sort of fetishized as a U.S. tool of foreign policy. Uh, if you talk certainly to my colleagues at the Free Russia Foundation, but to other people, Russian opposition figures, they will say that there are a whole host of not even Russian state officials, but kind of economic heavyweights, oligarchs and their accomplices who could be gone after as a real form of deterrence. Right. Yeah, okay. um, they, 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 the, the, the argument is that Putin's prime vulnerability is um, the ability to use Western financial markets and okay. Western financial systems to, to his advantage. So if he's told or shown rather that that has come to an end, that more than anything will send a signal that, that, that the West is determined and resolved. Okay. Um, I don't okay. see any indication that that's happening though. So if that's, that might be a long answer to okay. what you wanted, uh, you know, a short one. But yeah, unfortunately, I, I don't know what what the U.S. government is planning to do about this. Um, perhaps just raise it at the at the diplomatic level or the intelligence level. But again, I mean, is that going to stop the GRU from doing this sort of thing? Probably not. I mean, yeah. they, they have grown more and more brazen over the last decade than at any point in their history. Okay. Michael Weiss, thank you. I appreciate you taking time to do this. And um, we'll circle back with you if it's okay. Yeah, anytime. All right, sir. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Be sure to join us on our next episode when we take a deep look at spies in the U.S. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about this program, send me an email to jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, that's one word, at whiskey, tango, Oscar, Papa, dot com. Jay Green at WTOP.com. Also, we'd like to invite you to subscribe to our podcast and and to follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. Also, we'd like to invite you to sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff. And that's at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Seven years ago, college wrestler Damian Hurd disappeared from a party in Gunnison, Colorado. Everyone had been drinking or whatever, the usual party scene. When, how, and why he left are questions I need your help to understand. Nobody's heard from him. No, it's just like he disappeared. From Cold Case Productions and Podcast One. Final Days on Earth, The Life and Death of Damien Hurd. I'm your host, Claire Sanima. Join me April 20th for the season premiere. 
Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.